calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Lightspeed. Hello, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am Jim Freund, your host. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. In this episode, we will hear Homecoming by Claire Renwood, performed by Judy Young. This work is copyright 2021. Claire Renwood grew up in Indiana and New Zealand and currently lives on Waikiki Island, New Zealand. A member of the Clarion class of 2019, she also has work published at Tor.com and Nightmare Magazine. Find her online at clairerenwood.com, that's C-L-A-I-R-W-R-E-N-W-O-O-D. But we don't have to spell out for you that you have to buckle up and stay safe, because we're going to light speed. Homecoming by Claire Renwood only when Marlowe and her mother have followed the attendants through the faux marble foyer and into the room filled with diffusers and soft jazz and laid down on the massage tables covered in crisp, clean-smelling sheets. Only when someone has placed a cool gel pack over Marlowe's eyes and set something against her skin that starts kneading, a familiar needling motion that ignites a distant spark of recognition within her. Only then does Marlowe understand where her mother has taken her. She pushes back her eye mask and sits up, and the thing on her cheek disengages with a slight sucking pop. There, in the dimness, she peers at the creature, and yes, she recognizes it, from her time on its home planet, and from various way stations thereafter. The alien is the size of a rabbit, with a dozen scaled limbs and a narrow head devoid of features, save for a long, thin proboscis that balloons into a mouth. When set against a human face, the creature unfurls this mouth like an umbrella, 
vibrating the tiny nubs inside to slough away dead skin as its hundreds of needle-like teeth penetrate the skin and produce a potent opioid-like rush. The aliens may be stupid, but they are adept at this one thing. Out in space, people call them squicks, or squeakers, for the sound they make when you kick them. But the display behind the counter said something about a skin soother treatment, and Marla remembers now that this is what people call them here. Soothers, not squicks. Her mother must have heard Marlo's rustling. What's wrong? she says. The squick's long mouth is probing the air where Marlo's face was a moment ago. Watching the quivering movement, Marlo remembers a hot, flat planet riddled with deep ravines. She remembers rappelling down those steep cliff walls, the sudden coolness, the giant ferns that towered overhead and filled the air with a distinctive wet musk. A strange, dissociative wave rolls over her. She was there, on another planet, and now she is here, in a dingy strip mall salon outside Indianapolis. She has been back six weeks, having finished her contract with an extraterrestrial prospecting firm and returned to fulfill the bargain she made when she fled home the day after her 18th birthday. Ten years of adventure, she had told herself, then home to help run the bakery and look after her mother until one or both of them was dead. Marlo glances across at her mother, at her dark, inscrutable bulk. She pulls the mask back over her eyes. I thought you said we were getting facials. This is a facial. Marlo lies down, trying not to wince as the squick reattaches to her face. I thought you meant, like, mud masks. Times have changed, her mother says. If you hadn't been gone so long, you'd know. I was on the team that discovered these things, remember? I made you a bracelet out of their teeth? And Marlo sees again the long needle she painstakingly glued to a metal cuff. Remembers how she had imagined them circling her mother's wrist like fence posts, like a barricade against the badness of the world. The kneading on her cheek hitches. Marlo raises a hand, thinking to take off her eye mask, but a moment later the rhythm resumes, the endorphins already flooding her system, and she lowers her hand woozily. I wish you could have seen it up there. I'm thinking of adding something new to the menu, her mother says. Do people still eat donuts? How come you never ask about what it was like? Aren't you curious? I could inject them with that alien liquor. What do you call it? The stuff that makes your mouth go numb. There's a place down in Bloomington doing those now. If you could see it, you'd understand. The call of it, the way it pulls you back. Now why would you say a thing like that, Marlene? Marlo. It makes me think you'll leave again. On my first expedition, 
Marlowe says. We scouted this planet. Her mother mutters something inaudible, but Marlowe pushes on. And we saw this settlement, right? This big round hill with buildings on it. Well, the law says you have to approach new species on foot. So we landed ten miles away and walked. Everything was flat, covered in water that came up to our knees. Everything except that hill. It rose out of the water like a... like an anthill, you know? And we could see them up there, like little ants, going crazy. I guess they could see us, too. Somewhere in the telling of this story, the squick's high has kicked in. Time has slowed. Marlowe feels each word leave her mouth, float to the ceiling, and hover there like an unpopped balloon. When we finally made it to the hill, they all burst into flame, all at once. By the time we got to the top, no one was there. Just piles of ash everywhere you looked. She stops, frustrated. The story isn't coming out right. How to convey the eerie stillness of that moment, the sudden wind that blew the ash away. I made donuts for your 18th birthday. Her mother's voice is slurred. Remember? And then I woke up the next morning, and you were gone. Nothing but a note on the kitchen table. Marlo feels herself drifting towards sleep. She tenses every muscle in her body and pulls herself back. I just wish you'd asked about it. But I knew you'd come home. The words are so faint that a moment after hearing them, Marlo wonders if her mother said anything at all. She swallows. Her tongue is heavy in her mouth. The darkness around them swells, contracts. She can't tell if it has been five seconds or five minutes when she says, I applied for another rotation. Mom, did you hear me? I'm going back. But her mother has fallen asleep, her breathing heavy and sure. I'll tell her tomorrow, Marlo thinks. The touch on her cheek is gentle, insistent. No sneaking off this time, she vows, only half believing the promise even as she makes it. Her thoughts are coming slow and blurred now. Sleep unmoors her. She gives in. And here it was again, the Squick's home planet, with its flat, bare surface and low-hanging clouds. Ravines crisscrossed the surface like a sunken highway system, forty feet or more in depth, and filled with ferns three times Marlowe's height. Holes dotted the ravine walls, openings that led to the squick's tunnels and dens. Some quirk of nature had made the creatures the planet's dominant species, but testing failed to uncover a level of intelligence that required diplomacy under international space law, so Marlowe and her colleagues were licensed to prospect for worthwhile resources. They collected a lot of samples, dug a lot of holes, when one enterprising scientist discovered that starving squicks ate dead skin, 
with pleasant results, the strategy changed. They were ordered to capture the squicks and bring them to home base for exporting off-planet. What Marlowe dreams of now is her last night on the planet. The other members of her squad had built a big bonfire in the middle of camp, using the last of their kerosene to induce the perpetually wet fern stalks to burn. But Marlowe and Fabi had walked away from camp and built their own small fire, which sputtered and hissed as fat drops from the fronds overhead fell into it. Fabi had brought out her last bottle of Aj to celebrate, she had said, but it didn't feel like a celebration. Tomorrow, they would be shipped off to different assignments. They had exchanged home addresses, promised to visit, but both knew what would come of that. Marlowe raised the cap of her thermos, full of Aj to her mouth, but the remembered boundaries of her body had gone blurry and the cap overturned before it reached her lips. Fabi tutted. That was the last cup. Marlowe touched her lips. The Aj had made them go numb. I miss home. You're drunk, Fabi said. I miss my mom's muffins. Fabi buried her face in the crook of Marlowe's shoulder. Let's go back to my tent. Did you know she still uses fresh blueberries? Marlowe said. Supermarkets can't even get them anymore, but she has some connection. Drives 50 miles to some guy's farm every other Saturday. Fabi dropped the arm that had been circling Marlowe. She prodded the empty Aj bottle with the toe of her boot, then gave it a kick so that it skidded outside the meager circumference of firelight into the darkness. She was almost a decade older than Marlowe. This was her second rotation. You only miss it while you're gone. Then you get back, and no one gets it. And you'd give anything just to get out again. You're wrong. Marlowe shook her head and when she stopped, her vision, the entire canyon, swirled for a few seconds before settling into place. My mom gets it. Then why'd you leave? Marlowe opened her mouth, then closed it. There was a faint sound coming from the darkness. You hear that? You're drunk, Fabi said again. Her words had an edge to them this time, no longer observation, but indictment. Marlowe got to her feet and staggered in the direction of the sound. She could hear it more clearly now, a keening that raised the hair on her arms. As her eyes adjusted to the darkness, she saw a small clearing. In it was a pulsing mass that slowly resolved into distinct shapes. A half-dozen or so squicks, arranged around another of their kind that was obviously dead. Fabi had come up behind her. They're eating it. No, Marlowe said. They're... But she stopped, because the word that came to mind was too impossible. The squicks raised their long mouths into the air, trumpeting that high, thin sound into the night sky. Morning is what Marlowe had been about to say. 
the keening cut short. As one, the creature's heads turned toward them. They weren't so bad, Marlowe thought, like little chihuahuas or something. She remembered the man who used to come into the bakery every Saturday morning with a bearded dragon named Norma clinging to his shirt. He always bought a chocolate croissant and fed her half. And for a moment, Marlowe thought she might scoop up one of the creatures, stroke it as that man had, let it nibble at the protein bar in her shirt pocket. She took a step forward. The ends of the creature's mouths rolled back, revealing those clusters of needle-like teeth which seemed to lengthen and thicken as she watched, gleaming whitely in the darkness. Marlowe had to stop herself from stumbling back. She forced a laugh. The sound was reflected back by the high canyon walls, amplified more like a shout. You see this shit? Easy now, Fabi said. Marlowe grasped for the weighted net at her belt. I could catch every one of you squeakers if I wanted to. Her fingers fumbled over nothing. She had left the net in her tent. Come on, Marlowe, Fabi said. Let's go back. Marlowe faked a lunge, but the squicks didn't move. Oh, yeah, she said, filled now with a hot, fast anger toward the squicks, toward Fobby, toward the mother who waited millions of miles from here for her daughter to return and restore her to herself. She stepped forward, and Fobby grabbed her arm. Marlowe, that's not my name. Some distant part of Marlowe's brain registered that the squick's keening had started up again, but she was too focused on trying to shake off Fobby's hands to care. You don't even know my real name. And she heard it in her mother's mouth, the flat way she always said it, lingering on the end. Marlene. And she remembered, not the good memories of home that she had worked so hard to cultivate, but the summers that baked people to their death in trailers, the dust storms that swirled across the desiccated fields, the grind of early morning after early morning at the bakery, using the same recipes her mother had used for 30 years and her grandmother before that. Her mother always at her shoulder. Not like that, Marlene. Like this. Her voice a constant in that hot, cramped kitchen, chiding and gossiping and calling out to customers and never talking about a single real thing. How day by day Marlowe had felt her world narrowing, as though there were shutters at the corners of her eyes slowly inching toward center, which was why she had caught a bus at 6 a.m. one morning. Nothing but a note on the kitchen table, because she had felt the weight of this life looping heavy around her neck, had felt sure it would kill her if she stayed. And she knew that Fobby was right about what would happen when she went home, but that she would do it anyway. She had split herself apart such that no one would ever see her in her entirety. Part of her would always be an outsider, observing but not observed, removed and yet unable to pull away completely, orbiting herself for the rest of her life like a lost and lonely moon. You watch, Marlowe said, tearing out of Fobby's grasp and lurching toward the creatures who had hoisted the body aloft, whose wails, 
she realized, interwove to form a melody, and she drew back her foot, and she... Marla waits to pain. A hot, sharp sensation radiates from her cheek and lances through her bones. She staggers upright, clawing at her face, at the creature that has latched onto her skin and pierced all the way through. Its pale limbs swing this way and that as she shakes her head, trying to dislodge it. Blood floods her mouth, trickling down her throat until she cannot breathe. There is a high, tinny sound playing in her ears, and a moment later she realizes it is her mother, screaming. The music has stopped, and Marlowe is pulling and pulling, but the thing on her cheek won't let go. Dark spots crowd her vision. Get it off! Get it off! Someone is yelling. An attendant runs in with a broom and beats the creature, holding its limbs and whacking its middle until, finally, with a great sucking noise, it lets go. Marlowe sinks to the floor, coughing. Her mother rushes to her and presses a wadded-up sheet to her cheek. Someone has switched the light on and Marlowe squints in the sudden brightness. Her mother's face looms over her own, almost unrecognizable in the harsh light. Eyes and nose pooled in shadow, skin sun-spotted and slack with age. I'm sorry, Marlo sobs. She jerks away from her mother's hands, trying to see past her to the squick. It must know this, how very sorry she is. But the squick is facing away from her, cowering in a pool of blood as the attendant advances upon it. Sorry? her mother says, pressing the sheet against Marlowe's cheek, her nose, her mouth, until she can barely breathe. There now, hush. No, listen, Marlowe tries to say, but her mouth is filled with blood. The attendant tosses the broom aside, grabbing the squick with both hands. Marlowe pulls away from her mother. Hot drops of blood spatter against her neck, her shoulders. It read my mind. It saw... "'Shh!' her mother forces Marlowe's head back down, holding it to her breast. "'It's okay. I have you now.' The attendant has thrown the squick over her shoulder and is carrying it through the door. It thrusts its long mouth toward Marlowe, rolling its lips back to reveal bloody teeth. And although it has no eyes, she feels its gaze upon her, knows that it has seen her, as she thought only she could see herself. Isn't it strange to feel, at last, understood? Welcome back. You have been listening to Judy Young narrating Homecoming by Claire Renwood. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editor is John Joseph Adams, and this podcast is copyright 2021 by Adamant Press. Our sponsor this month is Tor Books, currently featuring A Desolation Called Peace by Arkady Martine. As a listener to this podcast, you know that we publish it and most of the rest of our content for free online. If you don't already support our Hugo award-winning journal, 
please consider checking out our many options, including ebook subscriptions and recurring patronage via Patreon at lightspeedmagazine.com support. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audion Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by yours truly. Our music and sound logos were composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. We'll see you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.